Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available <clears throat> absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and type on the three words in the upper left-hand corner that say start here, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. From that page, you can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over and over again, absolutely free. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one, where people have been stepped through that worksheet process and or called in to give powerful testimonials about how the active use of these tools in their lives has led to benefit. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland, Aramaic, Forgiveness. And if you do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it 
tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. Secondarily, because it also tends to lead to comments, questions, answers, and or testimonials. And if you have any of that to share with us, we would greatly appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. And once you do that, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the icon of a hand by your phone number. And I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. If you would like to um, give us feedback or ask for a comment or a question and you prefer not to be live on the Internet, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. If we get those emails from you, we will address them on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we address your comment or your question so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. And saying that reminds me to highlight the fact that the archives are another thing that Michael and Jeannie are putting their time, intelligence, money, and energy into as a free resource so that as we are here in our 13th year of doing this work, we've already completed 12 full years, you can go back and find almost every show Uh, And I say almost because there are one or two that have been lost due to uh, technical difficulties. And those are a powerful resource, and part of what Jeannie Rice does on a regular basis is make notes about the session so you can uh, have some guidance for which particular recordings might be useful to you. And she also puts the the request out there from time to time that if you listen to a an archive of a recording that doesn't have notes summarizing it, she would appreciate it if you would send her an email letting her know what you got from it, what you think the primary topic was, or you know if there were specific callers or guests on that show, and she can update the archives in that way. So let us know how we can support you. Let us know what's on your mind. It makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work, which is to be of service. And we have plenty of time for a call or a comment or a question today, 563-999-3581. And or you can call and request for assistance in framing out a worksheet or doing a worksheet or asking a particular question about the process of how these worksheets can be so powerful. And we'll be happy to address those with you, discuss those with you. The other thing we've been doing in lieu of uh, phone calls or anybody raising a hand, there are plenty of people that listen in, but they aren't always um, interested in 
going live and asking a question. And so when that doesn't happen, we either have an ongoing discussion and or we read from one of the many sources that we like to present. It's been a long time. I should probably update the the reading list on the way of uh, the um, mindshiftersacademy.org website. I had a page going there once, and I started listing the various books that we had discussed or recommended or read segments of, and it's been probably over a year since I've gone back and updated that. I should do that. Um, I was listening back to Michael's portion of the show yesterday, and there were some some not new. These are uh, discussion points or segments from The Course in Miracles that Michael has talked about before. Um, And one of them has to do with the idea of um, how you might wonder why you need to go and um, face or look at your deepest hatred. Um, And essentially, as he was discussing it with uh, Jeannie, the... uh, the quote boils up. Michael reads the first part of that quote. You may wonder why you need to look upon your deepest hatreds. But yesterday, for whatever reason, he read much more of that quote. And what it gets down to is you're not afraid of your hatred. You're afraid of what lies underneath that hatred, which is your connection to source and your uh, your power. And so this is pretty clearly to me where the um, the quote that Marianne Williamson has attributed to her so often about how you're not afraid of your darkness, you're afraid of your light. You're afraid of really shining your light brightly, about living big, etc. And... Um, so that's that's a, a really useful set of um, quotes from the Course in Miracles and discussions because on a regular basis we'll have people who stumble across this work whether they come to a support group or they listen to the Mind Shifters Radio and they reject the teaching because they think it's too negative or people don't want to do. Um, EFT tapping because they don't want to talk about what their upset is or they don't want to do a worksheet because they think it's too intellectual and too focused on the negative. And the essence of this work is to accept, to acknowledge what we create as negative thoughts and beliefs and then hold on to or run away from because either way, whether I'm holding on to it or running away from it, I'm giving it energy that makes it seem real to me. And 
so um, the essence of it is we're not really afraid of our darkness at a deeper level the soul that has decided to live in the dream of separation has then generated an ego and the ego becomes afraid of its full power and light it becomes um, aversive to that because it sees it as antithetical to the power of the ego so in that discussion one of the quotes that Michael has used from the ancient Aramaic over the years that I've really been, you know, drawn to because it it creates quite a bit of um, discussion and sometimes conflict when we have people who had a traumatic childhood or they had a negative relationship pattern with their parents. And Michael will quote something like, you know, honor your father and your mother. Well, you know, I've been in um, intensives at Heartland where this has come up, and there have been people there who are wounded from their childhood traumas and the abusive patterns with their parents. And Michael will get to this point, and it it devolves into sometimes a shouting match or people wanting to leave because you're telling me that I should accept the abuse or that I should think it was my fault and none of that is the point of this michael says clears it up whenever people will listen that that ancient teaching that comes down to us with the word honor in in the in the phrase honor your father and your mother the ancient teaching for the word that got translated as honor was do behavior based in love towards someone or something. That's what it means to honor them. To honor them, another way to talk about it is, before you do any behavior, act from faith. What does that mean from the ancient Aramaic? To get rooted, grounded in the rooted center of your being, and then act from that. Faith has nothing to do with the blind belief in somebody else's teaching or dogma or something you can't comprehend intellectually faith in the ancient teaching was get grounded rooted in the center of your true center of your being not your thoughts about yourself but this true loving expansive creative energy of consciousness get grounded in that and then act toward someone and in that process i'm honoring that person because i'm honoring myself i'm saying true to myself i'm seeing myself as part of the one divine mind and consciousness i'm seeing everyone and everything around me as part of that divine mind and consciousness and my behavior is coming from that awareness and that is the operational definition of honoring someone it isn't putting them up on a pedestal it isn't saying that they are better than you or that you are better than them it's seeing our connection seeing our unity our oneness our wholeness and acting from that and if i had parents who were physically mentally emotionally sexually abusive to me 
or to anybody else. It just means that they were beings of brilliance and light who either had temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance. They were beings of brilliance and light that were living in the veil of forgetfulness of their true nature and focused almost exclusively on the physical body and trained in such a way as to download pain and fear and sadness they felt they could not process out. And so they acted from their pain and fear and sadness, and that's how they were doing hurtful things to others. Whether it's angry things or insulting things or physically harmful things or sexually intrusive things, all of those things come out of human beings only when the human being, his or herself, is overwhelmed by their own internal pain, fear, or sadness. And it is so useful to my mind to revisit that from time to time that the admonition to honor thy father and thy mother was not about be a subject who just obeys them. It has nothing to do with the term obeying or being a slave to or ignoring their abusive patterns or their their actions born out of pain, fear, or sadness. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with having eyes wide open, eyes that can see deep and clear, near and far with with absolute clarity of your true nature and their true nature and then having seen and, and found and identified their highest and best, choosing to cooperate only with that and originating a behavior from you that's, that's rooted in your awareness of your true nature as love. So, um, one of the other quotes that Michael was talking about yesterday was that whenever I refuse to send loving thoughts and energy toward another or to act toward another person from the space of loving thoughts and energy within myself, what I'm doing is essentially depriving myself and a, and a wounded part of me from the healing energy or awareness of the healing energy of love. And so I keep myself sick and stuck when I drink the poison of resentment or anger or hatred, etc. And so the invitation is take increasingly more and more the ultimate goal is 100% responsibility for every emotional state you experience and having taken responsibility for it asking yourself exploring, asking to be shown from a higher set of wisdom how it is that you're creating that so that when you realize that it is not helping you or anyone else, as soon as you realize how you're creating it, now you can choose again. And you can terminate the process that's creating that 
unpleasant emotion or obstructing uh, that that energy that obstructs your perception and initiate a thought pattern, a behavior, an energy that blesses you and everyone around you rather than keeps you obscured from your true nature. So anytime I have any kind of an upset that keeps me from being able to think lovingly of another person or to tap into my true nature as love and then hold an image of them and send, beam that energy of love and acceptance and allowance toward that person. Whenever I'm doing that, I'm hurting myself. I'm I'm hiding a part of my own consciousness from the light of awareness of the true nature of love that will heal, instantly heal, the wounded part of me. So, just a couple things that I I realize that we don't have a a complete overlap in the... uh, and the people that listen to both hours of this show, and as I was listening back to Michael's portion of the show yesterday, I just thought these are kind of, they struck me as like a blasts from the past. These are quotes that I haven't heard him talk about in quite a while, and I thought it worth um, sharing and, and pointing our awareness towards that. The the work that as I register it and see it, that that Guy Finley and Michael and Course in Miracles and Way of Mastery and Diedrich Wolzak and Byron Katie and now Christian Sundberg, that work is some of the most loving and the Way of Mastery with Yam is some of the most loving intuitive, emotionally energy-based work I've ever come across. And yet, on a regular basis, I get feedback from some people that think it's too intellectual and too cold and too, you know, like Michael says sometimes, too hard a saying. So I just felt compelled to share that the process I frequently talk about for myself is a two-pronged process. I want to be able to continually remind myself of my true nature as this loving energy and I want to take closer and closer to 100% responsibility for any process within me that leaves me feeling less than that, that leaves me in the dream of separation and being lost or cut off from love, from safety. And I want to apply the tools wherever I've learned them, the most effective that I've learned, the most uh, compatible with my personality and style and my culture and my family. I want to apply those tools soon and often to remove the energies that don't belong in my system and 
restore my easy, clean, clear, quick awareness to my true nature as the essence of the creative energy expressing in form, which is just one way to talk about it. Another way to talk about it is to say, my true nature as love. Another way to talk about it is to say, my existence as a spark of consciousness of the one divine mind, my connection to all that is. All of these ways of talking about it are just words. And the more we play with those words and the behaviors that might get generated as we focus on what those words can mean for us, the greater chance we're going to usher ourselves into an experience that is preferable to the ones we have when we're in anger or fear or sadness or hurt or confusion. 610, Susan? Hi. So good. You're on it. You're on the topic. You said something yesterday to start things off. You said, is there anybody outside of your uh, circumference of who you'd be willing to forgive? Or is there someone you're you're reserving your right to remain angry at someone. Well, yes, I have to answer yes. And then um, I started a worksheet this morning, first thing, and it starts out, I, Susan, who am love? And I thought, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to go any further than that. Okay, I'm not. So I got stuck right there. I did do the worksheet but never felt as if I was anywhere near in touch with being love. I like what you said about being connected, though. If I can think of myself as, in spite of all these dark feelings and anger, I can feel that I am, I can understand that I'm connected. I don't feel it, but I can understand and acknowledge that that's a little easier. (laughs) There's that. And then I have a question about um, one of the talks that John St. Julian, long name, Christian mystic I've been telling you about, mentioned the existence of um, dark entities, extraterrestrials or or non-physically inhabiting Spirits that do have an effect on people who are unaware of them. He had an interview where he, I don't know whether he was talking with Elon Musk. No, he was, he used a clip of a news reel, some news program where Elon said, oh, if I knew, if, if, um, if there were extraterrestrials and dark spirits, I would know. He said, and there aren't any. I, I know that. And he says, Saint John St. Julian says, the fact that he does not acknowledge that puts him in great danger of being a puppet of those very spirits. And I know that we've thought, you know, we're all connected. We're all one. So how can we have separate entities around? And my mind's going nuts with that. So those are two things I would love to talk about. Probably the worksheet ought to go first, though. Even though I don't want to. <laughs> well, the worksheet is really the only one that's 
directly relevant to this show, right? Because okay. if you want to talk about, you know, dark entities and extraterrestrials, and that's out of my purview. Right? Okay. I don't have any knowledge of that. I don't have any direct experience of that. And the teachings that have been most useful to me are the ones that say we are we are connected to all that is and all that is is totally and truly purely good we can't see that from our current perspective and yet a three-year-old doesn't see that it's for his or her own good that their parent says you need to take a nap or you can't have five ice cream cones all at once right and and Mm -hmm. the three-year-old cannot comprehend how that's a bad thing to eat five ice cream cones or to go without a nap. It just just can't yeah. even begin to comprehend it. And so mm-hmm. there's no way that our conscious logical mind can comprehend how does it make any sense that somebody says everything that happens is in the flow of life and is perfectly okay when we've got wars and we've got sexual abuse of children and our, our minds can't comprehend that. And mm. so... I don't I don't go there and discuss things that I don't have any capacity to comprehend. I don't discuss them as though I've got the answer. And so right. when people want to talk about those things like extraterrestrials and dark entities and possessions, I just say I I can't contribute to that conversation. Okay. Well, I can't either. <laughs> so but the worksheets yeah. I've done enough I've done a few of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I, I, I can assist in that in that arena. All right. So I got to a certain point where I was hoping this would be one worksheet, uh, and it ended up being several, and I'm only on the first one. But the first one sort of hitches to all the rest. Um. So I'll just launch, if if that's okay. Yep. I, Susan, who am love, am experiencing rage, frustration. I had a whole list, but I'm going to stay with anger, frustration. Maybe that's too many. My denial displaces my... Ex- I'm, and I'm using an old worksheet that was right on top of a pile, and I just grabbed it this morning. So I couldn't even tell you which this is. But underneath it was your pattern, and I stopped and used the pattern to part of it. So this is a reality management worksheet. Up at the corner, I had written old, meaning this is an old version. Anyway, um, my denial displaces my experience of myself as my essence love sure does and my mind tells me that my emotions are caused by my trigger michael who's living downstairs the truth is only my thoughts cause my emotional upset this is true and i have a ton of thoughts uh he should be more appreciative of the fact that he's able to live here He's entitled. He thinks he's entitled. He's sneaky. He's passive, etc. I go on and on. So I stopped at the one he should be more appreciative. Um, and I, real, I, I wrote a whole page. It's like a mind shifter. 
Why should he be appreciative? Where did I get that idea? Okay, that's from my upbringing. All people are different. Um, And if he feels that he appreciates us and is demonstrative, maybe he's afraid he'll call attention to himself and we will ask him to leave because we, we realize he is there. In other words, he's trying to be invisible. Um, In other words, it strikes you as though he may be trying to be invisible. Right. Uh, And then I'm remembering my sister who has been living comfortably because Ben Bingham pays her rent. And the fact that she is appreciative, very appreciative, but I look upon her appreciativeness as manipulation. So, in other words, Michael can't win and my sister can't win. He's not saying anything, and I'm mad at him for it. My sister is saying a lot, and I think she's manipulating us. Great. Okay, so so, so to end the denial right yeah. here in what you just said, you're not mad at him for anything. You're generating anger, and your mind wants to, because you don't want to look at the pain and fear and sadness and hurt and confusion inside you, your mind shows you some outside object that you can throw interpretations on and then blame Mm -hmm. him, them, or it for your upset. Yeah. What I get the feeling of most overwhelmingly is how vulnerable he is. And I hate him for that. Isn't that something? Wonderful. Now you've got a good place to start. Okay. So one of the things I was going to do is say, let's not go into the page you wrote. Let's stick with the worksheet. Okay. And if, and, and if, you, if you want a mind shifter that comes right out right. of what you just said, you would write mm-hmm. down, it's safe and healing for me, and I love it to live as wide open and vulnerable in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm writing it down. It's safe and healing mm-hmm. for me, and I love it to live wide open and vulnerable in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I got it. Now, another way to get at that same thing is, you know, you you, you could say, um, I want to do some writing, and you might put the pen in the non-dominant hand or whatever, or just, you know, some stream of consciousness writing about how I wish I could live as wide open and vulnerable as Michael does. Wow. I'm writing that down too. Or you might even be projecting onto him that he is able to ignore what other people think about him, and you wish you could do that. Mm. 
right? You wish you weren't such a slave to what everybody else thinks. Uh, that's a new one. That's big. Okay. And, of course, if that turns out to be, you know, a wild guess from Dr. Hayes that hits anywhere near your target. <laughs> it does. Good going. Then, of course, then, of course, you can craft all kinds of worksheets around the goals that are associated with that. You see them all cropping up like little, little shoots. So whenever you're ready, we can get back to this current worksheet. Okay, I'm ready. <clears throat> so I had a lot of goals, and I'm supposed to give up just the one about his being more appreciative. Well, for this worksheet, yes. Yeah, okay. My desire, the exact goal is that, Michael, my trigger Appreciate us. I wrote a lot more goals. Work harder for us. Find a room somewhere else. Appreciate us. So I'll stay with the appreciation. And in that appreciation is also the wish that he would show some interest in us. He has never asked him or me anything about our lives. And I would like to strangle him for that. At least he might want to find out who we are. He, we're just uh, a womb for him, him to live in. You can see how, how mad I've become. So anyway, showing appreciation might be showing some interest. Uh, so I don't know whether that counts as, or that's another worksheet. Oh. Anyway, I'll keep going. Well, come, love. come back to this one, yep. and, 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 and the goal is that you want him to appreciate you, right? Yeah, right. So well, I, you lost me when you said, I don't know if that's another worksheet. That's the goal on this worksheet. Oh, that's right? the goal on this worksheet, but then I added to it that he doesn't ask us anything about ourselves. So is that another goal? That's another worksheet. Well, that would be, yeah, that, that would be, probably another worksheet is the that you know all these different ways it's just how you conceptualize it so you might say here's how i want him to show appreciation yeah okay ask us That's about it. ourselves right have this, yeah. there's a specific flavor to this worksheet i want him to show appreciation by asking us taking some kind of interest in who we are as people mhm and okay. so then it's not a, di a different worksheet. It's just a, a clarity on, you know, what your goal is for him in this particular. Another worksheet might be, I want him to appreciate us by offering to do more chores or paying his own way or whatever. Right. Okay. Good. But every so, time, like, if, 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 you have, if you have one that says, my goal for him is to appreciate us by asking about us and taking an interest in who we are as people. When you cancel that goal, it's going to have a specific flavor and a vibration to it that will resonate stuff in a certain part of your mind. If you have another yeah. one that says, I want him to appreciate us or show he appreciates us 
by doing chores without being asked. And you cancel that right. goal, it'll vibrate another part of your mind. A third one might be, I want him to appreciate us by openly saying how grateful he is on a regular basis. When you cancel that goal, it'll resonate a different part of your mind. Yeah. So each time you each time you tweak the goal a little bit, mm-hmm. you'll be tweaking the thoughts that lead to the goal, and you'll be tw- resonating a different part of your own mind that holds upset. That's true. And, of course, the goal is eventually to do this enough times with enough different goals and enough different thoughts that I've resonated lots of garbage, gunk, negativity within myself, and I've unloaded it. So I become lighter. Mm -hmm. I, I get more direct, easy access to, as the way of mastery would say, deeper into the purity of my own consciousness. It's easier and easier for me to see my true nature and the true nature of everyone around me, even when they aren't doing what my conscious logical mind tells me they should be doing. Because I have direct access, more clear access. I've gotten some of the bushel baskets out of the way, and I can see and feel my true nature and their true nature at the same time that I'm acknowledging what's coming out of them is coming from their pain, fear, and sadness. that make sense? It makes sense. I don't want to do it. You don't want to do what? I'm doing it. <laughs> it. I don't want to I don't want to feel his pain, fear and sadness. I don't want to know anything about it. I've seen enough of you it already. You don't want to know his pain, fear or sadness? Yeah. Did you did you think that I was saying you need to know his pain, fear and sadness? Yeah. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that you acknowledge that whatever's coming out of him isn't his true nature. Mm-hmm. When something less than love is coming out of him, that's not his true nature. And you can still hold him, like the Pierre Pradervan work, in that view that comes from pure love, the love in you and the love in him, and you can hold him in a blessing, an image in your mind and through your heart energy, that has more to do with his true nature than it does any pain he might be going through. Yeah. But if I get, if I generate upset and I tell myself it's because of this or that that he did, then I'm, I'm telling myself that my anger at him is justified because of this and that. Now I'm losing sight of my true nature and his. And mm-hmm. I'm caught up in, in the thoughts of identity, of ego and identification and Right. Denial, etc. But I'm not saying you need to go see and feel and experience all of his pain or even hear about it. I don't know where you got that, no. but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Should I what's, keep going? What's, what's quite what's, what's quite true for most of us is that as we step through releasing whatever negativity we're generating and blaming on somebody else, we will probably have to get in touch with our own pain, fear, and sadness 
that may be similar to or resonating on certain vibrational frequencies that are similar to the person outside of us that we think is causing our upset. I understand. That may be, that may be what you don't want to look at. And in that case, tough toenails. Because <laughs> that's the way the world is set up, right? I The only way right. out is through. I, I, I can't heal through denial. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do. You know, your first patter word is I cancel my need to rewrite. Well, how do I get past that? Okay. Well, anyway, it's it's like all of a sudden your whole patter thing is like one boulder after another on my path. So, number four, I choose love, my essence, which stirs the love in everyone involved. Well, I'm saying yes. And I'm remembering the rose and butterfly story, staying rooted in God, but it's such a layer of crabbiness over it that I'm I'm just saying the words now. Okay, so, I so hope to have some, some real, well, to have some real impact, positive impact, it's a really good thing to remember in this moment one of your most joyful, safe, happy, connected memories from some time in your life. Did you mm-hmm. ever take your kids or grandkids to Disney World? Did you ever have a, a Christmas or a birthday with your kids or grandkids that was just near perfect and everybody, things seemed to flow? And Or did you ever have a walk in the woods that was just nearly miraculous? Just take a moment or two to remember one of those. It doesn't have to have anything to do with this situation or this person or this time of your life, just generate some of that good feeling again and breathe it into and through your heart space before you move on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then move on. That's step four. All right. Okay, step five. When upset, my perception, my mind's construct is built out of corrupt data driven by my goal. By canceling that goal, the driver that collects the data that produces my reality, my errant perception collapses, and I get to drop into the parts of my mind hidden from me by my pretense then others are, oh, it's a typo in here. Huh, never caught that. That others are responsible for what I have created again. Okay. Well, I can see that. It's just so much of it there. Action step. While holding love conscious active and present, Rachma. I now choose to collapse my mind's lies by willingly canceling my goal for Michael to be more appreciative. I invite God to incline me toward healing. Restore me to my newborn essence love. Heal my denial and capacity to generate my emotion of being pissed. 
Help me open a direct conscious relationship with and gently remove the denied, dissociated, and projected parts of my mind. Okay, I haven't done that for sure. Okay, I'm I'm stuck on that one. Okay. Help me open a direct relationship and gently remove conscious relationship. Just ask for it. You don't have to accomplish it right now. Just ask for it. Because it's okay. going to happen from something outside your conscious logical mind. You're not okay. going to make this happen. Right? This Good. Is about, this is about letting go and asking for some source outside your conscious logical mind to do what your conscious logical mind simply can't do. Like, I That's can't get the three-year-old to understand why it's good that she has to take a nap or that he can't have five ice cream cones in a row. They're never going to understand it. So if I set myself the task of getting them to understand it, that's as futile as you in this worksheet trying to get yourself to consciously actually let go of all of this. Mm. Okay, that's you can't, very helpful. You, you, you can't consciously let go of all of this. That's why we ask Ruka or God or light or love or Holy Spirit or Jesus or my great-grandmother to help me accomplish what my conscious logical mind simply cannot do. Mm-hmm. Right. Michael calls it at one point, you know, the, the cosmic super processor or the spiritual super processor, which is entirely different from your conscious logical mind, which our science tells us can only do about nine bits of information at a time. So let go of the idea that you are going to accomplish this consciously and logically and just soften and breathe and say the words, hold the intention that that says, I don't know how to do this, but I hope there's a way it can be done. And then move on to the pattern. All right. I cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything else to change, including me. That's a relief. I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf for now. Cancel my goal for this worksheet, which is to have Michael show some appreciation slash interest in us. Now I place myself in that open, allowing state to watch whatever images come up. So just breathe and soften, and I'll say the rest out loud, and you can just do a brief meditation here. Just soften and breathe and allow, and trust that anything that comes into your mind is going to be part of what you see and need to see to begin to heal here and move forward. It's all old okay. stuff. It can't hurt you any more than it already has. So just breathe and soften. And if something bubbles up as a memory from the past, let yourself see, how old am I? Where am I? 
who else is there and what's happening. And trust that anything, a sight, a sound, a physical sensation, an emotion, is just energy. It's not happening anywhere but in your mind right now. And that means it's perfectly safe for you to see it, feel it, let it wash over you, and have you study it to see what you might have missed in the past or what you might have downloaded as a meaning about this, a meaning about you as a person that you haven't wanted to look at yet. Breathe and soften and stay with it until you feel something shift or fade or you realize that it's just going to keep spinning. And whenever you realize a deep insight or a memory from the past or you realize it's just going to keep spinning, then take a breath, nice deep cleansing breath, and let it all go and scan your body and notice what's the strongest emotion or physical sensation that's left right now. Heart. Tell us what that is. What? Heart tight in my heart okay and um, is there any kind I of have... an emotion that goes with that tightness in your heart no not really okay I don't know and did you have an image from your past that came to mind I did it's very strange to have this one okay well you don't need to tell us about it and yet it would be very good for you to make some notes about it before mm-hmm. before you do much of anything else mm-hmm. and since we're down to like you know you know five minutes or six minutes in the show you let me know is it best for you to just take a break from the show and go right about this memory and get down the details or to just make a quick note for you and move to the last few steps of the worksheet? Let's keep going to the last steps, the last part of the worksheet. Okay. Just make sure that you make a note so you you can remember what this image was. Yeah, I can. And then the next step is to ask to be shown how you have violated a goal, that very same goal in one way or another, either for yourself or somebody else, to be appreciative, to demonstrate appreciation, to take an interest in in people, whatever. And if it pops into your mind, oh, I know exactly where that's from, then make a note of that. Okay. And if not, then just say, okay, well, I'm throwing it open to the universe to be shown as I move forward. Right. Either times in the past I've done that or when I'm in the middle of Mm -hmm. doing it or about to do it and I can get shown and then I can choose differently. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Two things came to mind. So do you want to keep going and finish? Because I know the show is going to be over. Yep. Yep. 
And then you just move on to step seven, which says, and you can read it briefly. A principle of the universe is that by giving, I first get the original. I'm grateful for this opportunity to heal. I choose truth and perfect love. And one C, based on number three, from love, I structure a goal toward go and offer him. Well, and it's not really about him. It's about you. And so in this case, since you've had three or four other worksheets that got generated before we even got into this one, Mm -hmm. and then you just had a thought about an image from the past, you could say anything here would be a loving goal. Anything that helps you unpack some of your less-than-loving energies, beliefs, past traumas is a loving thing to do for you and anybody around you. So you could say Mm -hmm. here... I'm going to do those three worksheets that we outlined or mm-hmm. I'm going to do a, a tapping session on what just came up in that image when I did the release or the the patter. Mm-hmm. But just be specific about it so that you yeah. can recognize when you've accomplished it, right? Because we know that if we set a goal that we don't cancel, if we haven't accomplished it, it keeps running in our mind unless we accomplish it or consciously cancel it. So just right. be specific. Instead of say, I'll do some worksheets. Say, I'll do two worksheets okay. or I'll do one 15-minute one tapping session. or and, and then there's that idea that I'm going to do a mass canceling of all the times in my life I wanted somebody to appreciate me in this specific way, right? Value me as a person, ask about me, etc. Whether that was a parent, a grandparent, a high school friend, or I'm going to do a mass canceling of all the times I've wanted that goal from somebody. Mm-hmm. Because I want, I have a commitment to live from my direct awareness of my true nature is love. And if I hold a goal like that and I have any kind of frustration or upset about it, it obscures my view of my true nature. And then you scan your body and notice what your upset level is like and record that and then register whether or not you would say this is a successful worksheet. Okay. That was an interesting sound. This is a full-time job. Yeah. You gave me two mind shifters. Maybe a third mind shifter. These are just potentials. These aren't assignments. Yeah. Right? No, I understand. if, If you're moved to do one, do it. If you're not moved to do it, you know, let it go. <laughs> there was a, there was a, um, a, a networking group I was involved in every Thursday for seventeen and a half years, and one of the things that the founder of that networking group had as one of his key sayings is, "If you're not having fun, you're not doing it right." And that's what just came to mind for me to say to you: <laughs> Listen, yeah, you know. If you're going, 
you're probably not doing it right. Ease up. Take a vacation from the work for a bit. You know, think, think, and and speak internally, lovingly towards yourself. Remember, your wounded inner child, whoever, whatever age she's at, whatever, the younger parts of you that are anything less than feeling loving towards themselves, the only voice they can hear is yours. They can't hear Tim Bingham's. They can't hear my voice telling you how wonderful you are, what great work you've done. They can't hear your friends telling you they value you. Your your wounded inner perspectives on yourself only hear your voice. And once you start to recognize that, it makes really good sense to heed the advice I sent to somebody in an email just yesterday, I think. Please remember throughout the day that the only voice your inner selves can hear is your voice. This may help you monitor your inner dialogue and shift its tone and content, shift it to mirror how you talk to someone you love in your best moments. Mm. I have one woman that could only accomplish this by making her inner dialogue take on the sing-song loving tone she uses with her cats. Yeah. I have other people that that are only able to accomplish it because they have such deep affection for their young children. These are children before they've gotten into that contentious period of adolescence, right? And and they they accomplish this because they think of how they talk to their children when they're in a good mood, and they use that. So rather than that grunt and groan and this is such hard work – I encourage you to be gentle with yourself and say, wow, great job turning and facing something you didn't want to accomplish or didn't want to look at. Time for, you know, what's one of your favorite spoil-yourself treats? Right? A chocolate candy bar, a massage, some ice cream, a walk in the woods. Time for that. Not a time for, oh, my God, now I've got – three mind shifters and 17 worksheets <laughs> this is not time for that right this is okay let's yeah let's good. be gentle with yourself and 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 see if you can let in my gratitude for your calling this show as often as you do and specifically for today and willing to do a worksheet see if you can just let that in and rest in that mm, thanks Thank you. Well, you're entirely welcome and far more deserving than you yet know, but you're on your way. Mm, Thanks. Our second hour today is going to be the Empowered to Heal, so I will mute you, Susan, so you can listen in if you so desire. It's the second hour of the Empowered to Heal talk. I have um, no information about what Michael and Jeannie are doing, but here is your second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, 
and everything else is false. We look back 2,000 years ago and circumstances and situations were not much different. They said in those teachings, do not be molded by the world or you will end up moldy. <laughs> Essentially that was the message that if we let our mind energy system, if we let the frequencies we engage in be molded by the insanity of the world, then we would set up and structure our physiology according to that and our lives according to that. And he looks at so much of what's happening in the media today and the media says, oh well, we're just reflecting the culture. Well, we may be reflecting somebody's culture in some little localized area, but when you put it on the media and punch it into millions of children's minds, you just pervaded the culture with that insanity. And it's time, I think, for us adults to stand up to the media and what's being purveyed as normal. Because once you build the brain cells, while the media's excuse is, well, you know, they know the difference between fantasy and reality, that's not the point. That's like diverting the question. The point is, what's been built, built into brain cells as normal, as reality? And if abusive parents and disrespective parents is built into brain cells as normal, guess what's going to drive the behavior of that child as they grow? That's exactly what it's going to be. And if it's any of the other insanities that are going on that become glorified. I mean, just the simple fact that we name the perpetrators of the atrocities in our culture. How many who are in a state of despair, who have nothing in their minds to live for, well, gee, here's my chance to become known worldwide. What the heck? And so what do they do? If, if the media did nothing but to shut down its reporting of the names and details of those who commit some of these atrocities, I bet you we'd cut it in half because it wouldn't be so glorified. But to wake up to what it is we're doing with our mind energy is of key importance. And to come to the point where, regardless of what's happening in our world, we can hold the condition of love in our minds. Again, as I mentioned before the break, the, the original teachings that said what's most important in the law named three objects of attention, God, neighbor, and self. And in the ancient Aramaic, the word neighbor means anybody that you think about that you had the requirement, if you want your world to be sane, that when you think of God, neighbor, or self, the requirement is that you keep the condition of love in your mind. When you can do that, if there's anything in your brain cell structure that is resonated by any of those objects of attention, when that surfaces, the exposure to love will transmute or change or heal that energy in you. And as you heal that in you, you become empowered. You become literally an empowered space to promote healing. The person who carries the energy of fear or hatred in their minds because of this principle of resonance, just by walking through the universe and interacting with others, the energy field they carry will tend to resonate or activate that energy in everyone they touch or come close to. As you see any of those issues that are yours when they're in your face, as you heal them, 
those issues, then you walk among people and you carry with you an energy space that opens healing in everyone that you touch. Now the world teaches us the opposite. What do you, let, let's use an example. We hear a report of a child abuser. Terrible things that have been done to a child. Totally unjustified and unreasonable. What do most people want to do to the child abuser? Kill. Abuse them. <laughs> Think about it as an energy dynamic. If the energy of abuse is blue and we have someone who observes the child abuser who in their world out of the potential has collapsed this energy we would call blue, this blue potential, then the person who says let's abuse them sets up a frequency that does what? Reinforces and creates more of it. Let's say we take this person who is the abuser and let's put them away in a jail cell so they could never touch or abuse another child, but let's publicize their abuse worldwide. And now let's watch five million people who look out through the abuse in their own minds and through the hatred in their own minds and the fact that we have punished and incarcerated this person activates the vibration of abuse in all of those minds. Now you have a field that permeates the planet. And the person who has the potential to abuse but would never do it you know, if you talk to most abusers afterwards, it's like, God, that's not what I wanted to do. I don't, I don't want to hit that kid. It's the last thing I want to do, but something just seems to take over. What takes over? Well, probably this guy, when he was a kid, was beaten, abused when he cried. And so in his file on crying is being beaten, abused. So now when the child cries, what resonates and takes over his mind? Anybody here ever done anything against your own will and choice? Something you didn't want to do? Go back and look at Paul. So many people are following the teachings of Paul today. And Paul said, why is it the things I would do, I cannot do? And the things I would not do are what I do. Paul didn't understand Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. He didn't know how to remove from his mind the realities that drove his behavior. Jesus taught people how to reach into their minds when those realities came forward and how to presence love. And in presencing love, when those realities came forward, forgiveness happened. That was erased from those minds. But here's the person who there's the potential for them to abuse, but the energy is not active enough in them for them to become active abusers. But with five million minds focused on this abuser over here, all sending the energy of abuse, what resonates in this mind? We've just created thousands more abusers. We don't need a penal system in our culture, folks. You cannot punish, you cannot incarcerate enough people to get rid of abuse. You can't do it. It will consume the whole gross national product. Look at it. You know, the, the investment analyzers are, are suggesting that it's one of the best growth industries to invest in. Think about it. I'm serious. Think about it. 
Now, the more we focus on creating, you know, let's get tough on crime. Let's punish those bad guys. Punishment is the reason for the bad guys, quote unquote. It's the energy that's been impregnated into them that when it comes up, just like you and me, we don't have any control over. And unless we have tools with which to undo it, it will drive our behavior against our own will and choice. Now, does that mean we shouldn't put this guy behind bars? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. It might be very appropriate for us to take up a collection and say, this is a guy we can't have in our culture. But do we need to beat up on him? No. By beating up on him, we just set up more of the same abuse. What we need to do is we need to be able to create a space of love and healing. Now go back and hear in the context of energy, in the words of Jesus, love those who hate you, do good to those who despitefully use you. And you see what empowers you to heal. See, if you can love those that hate you, you find the part of your own mind that set up the event in the first place and you expose it to love and you heal. And when you create that space of healing, you now have the capacity to open that same space for this guy. But it's what we refuse to deal with that creates our own physiological demise and creates more and more of the insanity in the world. If you think about God, is there one reality in your mind that's less than love? Well, if you were brought up in a lot of the traditions that said, God's going to get you for that, hey, one of the major things that I run into oftentimes in churches is people who hate God. Because God took away their baby. God did this. God did all sorts. God didn't do any of that stuff. We're creators. Well, in the sense that there's only one actor in the world, God, there's only one power. God carries out our instructions, but it's we who set it up. Does that mean we're guilty? No. This isn't about guilt. This means that we're responsible as creators for what we do. And if we don't like what we've done, what we've set up, we need to own it and forgive it. So if you have a reality in your mind, unlike love for God, you better clean it up. Because it's your disease. If you think of neighbor, any other being on the planet, in Aramaic, now about the 6th century, they changed the meaning of the word neighbor. I remember one fellow that I worked with who, who was guiding a translation and there was one of the, and the, one of the best known Aramises in the world back in the 70s who kept sending back into him, there were five translators working on a manuscript, and kept sending back into him translations of neighbor that were like the translation we use, the guy down the block. And so this fellow who was directing the translation uh, sent it to a fellow who is the Pope of the Church of the East, a man named Marshuman. And the Church of the East has always used the Aramaic language. And the Pope of the Church of the East kind of laughed when he saw it coming back that way. He says, oh, I know what's happened. He said, he's just gotten caught up in those new dictionaries they wrote in the Aramaic back in the 6th century. <laughs> the new dictionaries in the 6th century, when they changed the meaning of the word neighbor to be the guy down the block, instead of anybody that you think about. In the Aramaic language, there is no way to distinguish between physically near and mentally near. When you think about somebody, they're your neighbor. 
So now it becomes your, if you want to be empowered to heal, I mean, do you really truly want to be empowered to heal? It's a big stand for responsibility because when you think of anyone on the planet, no matter what the atrocity is that they've done, you're required to hold the condition of love in your mind. That's the first statement of law. The only thing that would inhibit you from holding the, re, the, the condition of love in your mind is that perhaps you have a reality in your mind called hatred. If you have a reality in your mind called hatred, then somewhere in your physiology is a frequency called hatred. If that energy is in the big toe, guess what? You're going to have a diseased big toe. If that energy is in your kneecap, guess what? You're probably, they're probably going to tell you you need surgery. If that energy is in your heart or your lung or your liver or your brain, they're going to tell you you have a physical problem. But you don't have a physical problem because there is no physical world. Oh, Michael, now you're going too far. Wait a minute here. Let's go back and see if we can catch up with good science again. Einstein said what? On such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy. Energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. A material world doesn't exist. An energy world exists. And if you hold the energy of hatred, whatever tissue it's in, it violates the integrity of the tissue. That violation of the integrity of your tissue structure is your disease. And it also sets up the frequency that manifests in your world. We're creators. So when you see that teaching of Jesus that said love for God, neighbor, and self, you see the brilliance of you've got to keep that condition of love in your mind. And then if you have a neighbor that can activate hate in you, what happens? Your hate comes to the surface. When it comes to the surface and is exposed to love, there's a transmutation of energy and you heal. It's brilliant. It's not religious. It's brilliant. Notice in your life, the only time you've ever done something you didn't want to do was when you were in a condition other than love, right? Hostility or fear compromises human intelligence. Don't obey your mind's dictates when hostility or fear shows up. Stop. Forgive the hostility or fear. Once you understand forgiveness, you will never forgive anybody else again. Because forgiveness isn't about letting them off the hook. That's a Greek cheap copy. Remember the Greeks externalized the powers and they said forgive them as though they're responsible for the reality you're experiencing in your mind and your body. Stop forgiving people. When somebody comes to me and says, oh, I don't need to do that. Why is this happening to me again? Worship. I've forgiven everybody, my mother, my father, my sister, my brother. I know they've done no forgiveness work. They bought into the Greek concept, which is pardoning them. Now, if you want to pardon somebody, that's a nice thing to do. But when you pardon somebody, you've done nothing to change the reality in your mind, which is the energy in your body which is the frequency with which you set up your quantum universe. You want to be empowered to heal? Think of a neighbor that can inspire hatred in you, and now with the presence of love, you heal hatred. And you heal. Thank you, neighbor, for showing me the part of my mind that I didn't want to deal with. 
Thank you for being the one that responded to this energy wave that I sent out that invited someone to do something hateful to me because I needed the opportunity to heal my hatred because I want to be empowered to heal. Who are we really? We're creators. If you think of yourself, now how many of us, when we were this high, were told how worthless we were? How many of us were told how stupid we were? How many of us were told how invaluable we were? How many of us were told that to love ourselves was some kind of a sin? Well, guess what? Every one of those realities in your mind has to be forgiven. Because as long as you hold a reality unlike love for self, you just broke the first law. Whew. How did it get to be so backward? How did it get to be so backward? And now that we see how backward it's gotten to be, how do we change it? Well, it's really simple. Unfortunately, it's not always easy. Because the first step in doing it is you've got to remember to do it. Hey, you walk out the door committed to be fully loving, right? And somebody gives you the look, and what happens? <laughs> up comes the hate, up comes the fear, <laughs> up comes the attack, let's get them. Oh, God, I forgot again. <laughs> and that's just part of the process, and, and that's okay to be in that process. You know, it's kind of like a, a constitutional growth that happens. It's a process that we go through. And it takes time to achieve that process of moving out of the old self. Remember Jesus said, and, and look at it from this energy context and this Adam Nafsha context. What do you say? In order for you to live, you've got to die. In other words, the survival self, the Adamos self, has to die in order for Nafsha, the soul, excuse me, the soul to actually come into full expression and live. And then you are in this world through your physiology, but you are not of the reality structure of the world. You and take your instructions from another mind. Which mind? The mind of Christ. Which mind did Christ think with? He thought with the mind of love, which was called the mind of God. It becomes real simple and real practical. But you've got to stop thinking with your human mind. As I said earlier, you've got to be out of your mind. It's an important step in the process. And then you bring to your Adam mind the mind of God, the mind of Christ, the mind of love. And as you do, you heal everything in you that is unlike love, and you get to the point where the only frequency that you send out into this quantum universe is that frequency of love. And more and more around you starts to manifest that frequency, including the guy that seemed to be deserving of being put behind bars. Of course, I think it was um, Longfellow who said that if we could but see the secret pain and past of our enemies, it would be enough to dismantle all hostility. I'm only hostile at someone if I hold a reality called hostility. I'm not hostile at them because they said this or they did that or they did that. 
If their act caused my hostility, and there were a hundred people in the room and that person did the act, there'd be a hundred people in hostility, wouldn't there? But they can do their act in a room with a hundred people and I might be the only one with hostility because I'm the only one with the reality called hostility to respond to that. Whose opportunity is that to heal? And who's in charge of whether or not you heal? And you become empowered to create the space of healing for others. You are. If you turn it over to the world, good luck. So for me, and, and, you know, just it boggles my mind more and more every time I teach this. It's one of the beauties of getting to do this work. Sometimes I wonder what I did to deserve it. Is that I get to remind myself over and over and over when my atom mind forgets. Oh, that's right. That's what the commitment is. That's what I want to move in the direction of. To really move into that space where we take full 100% responsibility for the condition of love in our minds, in our emotions, and in our physiology. And if anything less than love comes up, you forgive it. And I don't care what your disease is. Remember, there's no physical. There's only an energy system. You put a distorting energy in the big toe, it shows up as a diseased big toe. Does a big toe have a disease? No, because there's no such thing as a big toe. There's an energy that reflects as a pattern when you put an interfering energy into the pattern until you remove the interfering energy, the pattern's disturbed and it looks diseased. But the power that knows how to build the big toe has built billions of them over many years and knows exactly how to rebuild yours. And guess what? In the next year, every cell in your body is going to totally and completely regenerate and replace itself. Or depending whose philosophy you buy into, it might take seven years. But somewhere between a year and seven years, you are not going to have one cell in your body that is the same as the one that's sitting in this room here today. You're going to get a totally new body. Now, if you're going to get a totally new body, and this is scientifically proven, if you're going to get a totally new body, how could you possibly have a disease seven years from now that you say you have today? There's only one way. You refuse to remove the interfering energy. Or you don't know how to forgive. You don't know how to forgive the frequency that's held in tissue that creates the distortion called disease. Now, what's the source of disease? Well, let's go back with new eyes, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, what was said in the scriptures about it. And I'm going to read from the book of James, James 1.5. And here's what he says. Now, let's extract this from a religious setting and let's just look at it from a physiological and from an energy and a world energy and a quantum energy perspective. Let's look from there at this for a minute, okay? James 1.5 If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that gives to all men liberally. A double-minded man is unstable in his ways. Blessed is he that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. What does it mean to endure temptation? Can you keep the condition of love in your mind when somebody comes up in your face that brings what's less than love in you? Let no man say he is tempted of God, for God tempts no one. Every man is tempted by his own errors. When a man conceives in error, he brings forth sin, and when it is finished, it brings forth death. Now remember in Aramaic, the word sin is an archery term. It means off the target. When you bring an energy in that's off target, you conceive in sin. Now, it's interesting how many people give birth to an experience and they don't have a clue who the father was. <laughs> they think it just happened and that they have no part in the process. 
And they don't realize that we're continuously in a state of conceiving. And when we conceive an energy that's off the mark, it brings forth distortion in the energy system, the physiological system. And we call it disease. And then we try and chase down a physical cause in something that isn't physical. Now, does that mean don't ever follow physical solutions? No. Be holy. Work on all levels. If there's something in the physiological world that will support your healing process, great. But remember to deal with the primary cause level, which is always in your power and in your hands. And you've got to do it for you. The old self has to die. That is, the old self has to be dismantled. And that's the process of forgiveness for Nafsha, the true spiritual being, to show up with full-blown choice. Every good and perfect gift is from above. What does that mean? It means that if we stop looking to our past and what's already in the Adam mind, we've got to deal here with Satan. Remember the story about Satan? You know, Satan's important to understand. And it's a con job to think of Satan as this dude with the red suit, the tail, and the pitchfork running around out there to get us. You go to the book of Job, and Job tells us exactly the location of Satan. What does it say? The opening words say, The sons and daughters of God came together with God. Now, you'll notice that it's plural. There's a misunderstanding currently on the planet. There was only one son of God. He lived and died 2,000 years ago. You're not welcome in the club. It's not what that book says. The sons and daughters of God came together with God. More than one. And the scriptures clearly define what it takes to be a son or daughter of God. As many are sons and daughters of God as are led by the Spirit of God. Now, in a practical sense, in the context we're speaking, what does that mean? That means that you're either led, you, Nafsha, soul, are either led by your past, your Adam mind, or you're led by the mind of God. As many are sons and daughters of God as are led by the Spirit of God. Real simple. Real straightforward. If you are led by and in relationship with the Spirit of love, you're in relationship with the Spirit of God. So what does it say? The sons and daughters of God came together with God and with them came Satan. And God said, Satan, from whence come you? And Satan said, from going to and fro upon the earth, from going back and forth upon it. So here we have an answer to the question. To and fro, back and forth. Now what is to and fro, back and forth? I've heard people try to explain that that meant that there was this being with the red suit, the tail, and the pitchfork out walking back and forth on the planet. Do you think they wasted two full lines of scripture to tell us that? I don't think so. Because you know, if you look just a few paragraphs later, the whole thing is repeated again. The sons of God came together with God, with them came Satan. God said, Satan, Whence come you? And Satan said, from going to and fro upon the earth, from going back and forth upon it. What is to and fro, back and forth? It's a statement of our past. Now, you come forward into the New Testament. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, which is his demonstration of how to hold the context of love and walk through to eternal life. And what happens? He tells Peter, hey, this is it. I'm going to go to be crucified. And Peter does what? Whoa, wait a minute, we'll stop it, we'll save you. What does Jesus say to him? He addresses him directly as Satan. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. And then he explains what he means. 
Now here, we've got the definition for Satan. To and fro, back and forth. It's the past. And now we need to know the location. What does Jesus say? Why does he call Peter Satan? He says, for you think in the mind of man. Adamo's mind. You want to know where Satan is? It's your mind. You want to know what Satan is? It's your past. When you're trapped in the past and you are not in the presence of the love of God, then you're living in, trapped in, Satan. So what needs to happen? All you need to do is apply the tool of forgiveness to dismantle whatever the current reality is from your past and it evaporates. And when it evaporates, it can no longer grab you by the face and force you to do things against your own will and choice. And you will then live out of the mind of love, which is what? The mind of God. Oh, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Gee, maybe this wasn't a religious process after all. Maybe this is just life. Maybe this is just how we're designed to live. Maybe that's all that teaching was about. But of course, for those who live in poverty and fear, there's not much money in that because you can't control people with that. So let's twist it around a little bit and make Satan some sort of external power that they have to chase after and we be the special connection to God and then we can take, gee, we can take their money, we can take their political vote, we can control their genitals. <laughs> What's the game there? Let's go back and actually see what Jesus said to do. You know, in, in um, Mark 10.25, the scribe says to Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, I think that you could readily say that other words in our culture for eternal life, for inheriting eternal life, would be be saved, now you'll notice that there are many that are hanging out with an ancient pagan ritual of blood sacrifice. But if you listen to Jesus, he didn't say anything about blood sacrifice or calling his name. He had the scribe quote back to him what the law said. He said to the scribe when he said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I do to be empowered to heal and be saved from the insanity of the world in real practical terms? And Jesus said to him, well, what does the law say? How do you read it? And the scribe quotes back to him, well, the law says that I've got to love God with all my body, with all my strength, with all my mind, with all my heart, and with all my soul, and my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, bingo. Well, he probably didn't say bingo. That probably wasn't a religious event back then. But <laughs> what did he say? He said, you have spoken correctly. Do this and you shall live. Listen to that. He doesn't just intimately tie eternal life to holding the condition of love when you think of God, neighbor, and self. He ties life itself to that idea. He says, do this and you shall live. What is he saying there? He's saying that actual life for a human being depends on the presence of love in their minds. Just because a human being can then get up and walk and talk does not mean that they're alive. You know, the prodigal son walked and talked, but you'll remember that when he started to return, the father said, look, your brother who was dead. It's the definition of death is to lose the capacity to hold the presence of love in your mind. That's the definition of death. 
we only truly become fully human, does that mean it's bad or wrong to be in your Adam mind? No. That's just another part of life. But to be fully expressive of our human nature is to develop the capacity to keep love conscious, active, and present. When we go into our Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment workshop, we'll look at that and how that component fits in with our primary purpose for being here in life. So let's go back again to James 1.5. Every man is tempted by his own errors. When a man conceives an error, he brings forth sin, and when it is finished, it brings forth death. Every good and perfect gift is from, gift is from above, from the love of God. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man is not from God. Be doers of these words, not just hearers deceiving yourself. Now, there are people who say, all you have to do is say certain words. You don't have to do anything. Excuse me. But there's doing required. You need to live it in your physiology to get the energy to be expressed through your physiology and bring it to a fully healed state. To just bring it into mental awareness is to have an intellectual understanding, but if you're actually going to heal, it's got to visit your body. And the way it visits your body is when the person who can give you the look gives you the look that you're able to bring that presence of love through that painful reality in your mind and offer it to them. When you do that, you bring that out of intellectual understanding through your physiology and that cracks the old insanity, the old realities that would guide us to behavior that doesn't belong in human experience. So be doers of these word, not words, not just hearers, deceiving yourself. It's saying here that if you think you can just get away with chattering the name of a man named Jesus, that you're deceiving yourself. Take care of the orphan and the widow. In other words, you've got to go into service. And we'll talk about that in the Beatitudes. Fulfill the royal law of love thy neighbor as thyself, but if it is conditional upon their status, you have erred. Have faith, but do good works also. Faith without works is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. Your tongue is a little member and it defiles your whole body. With it we bless God and curse men which ought not to be. Remember they equated the, the power that it takes to tame your own tongue? They said, he who can tame his own tongue is mightier than he that takes a city. This is not for cowards. This is not for little people to do. This is for people who are willing to be giant in courage, and that is the courage to face themselves, to actually live through everything in them that is less than love with the condition of love. You know, there are lots of people who are willing to die for a cause. And people talk about Jesus, and Jesus died for our sins. Jesus didn't die for our sins. That's an insane ego interpretation. Jesus lived to show us that sin couldn't kill us if we followed the law of holding the condition of love for neighbor. What happened to Jesus in the crucifixion scene? Well, gee, he comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane. And the high priest's servant's there in his face. This high priest's servant is the man who's going to take him to be killed. I mean, he's going to cause Jesus the worst suffering and pain that you could think about inflicting on a human being at that time. Now, Peter plays out the role of the ego mind. He shows how not to do it, right? He pulls out the sword and whacks off the high priest's servant's ear. 
I can imagine Jesus might have given him the look at that moment. <laughs> but then what does he do? He stops Jesus and he offers support and caring and love to the man who's going to have him killed. Now I've had people who said to me, well Michael, you know that's all very interesting, but did you notice that that act got him dead? I say, yes, I noticed that act got him dead. Have you noticed they couldn't keep him that way? <laughs> that is high-level wellness. <laughs> that is the key to life. What did he demonstrate? He demonstrated in a very real circumstance how to hold the condition of love in front of a neighbor who would destroy you and that the neighbor destroying you could not have an impact on you because you had such a state of high-level wellness that whatever injury he did, you immediately restructured the energy system and healed. That's the message of the crucifixion. Not that suffering is the way. It's not what it's about incorrect message but it takes a lot of courage to face and it takes strength and it takes commitment and it takes work to get to the point where you can hold the condition of love especially in the face of the person who knows how to give you the look I mean think about that person right now what realities in your mind prevent you from holding love in their space that's your work not theirs so, James 1.5 goes on to say, We bless God and curse men which ought not be. Does a fountain send forth sweet water and bitter? Is there a wise man imbued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works. If you have envying or strife in your hearts, stop your denial. This does not come from above, but is a source of confusion and error. You want to know what your confusion and error is about? It's about your own denial. They understood how the whole energy system worked. And they were saying it very clearly. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality or hypocrisy, and is sown in peace of them that make peace. From whence come fightings among you? Come they not hence, even from the lusts that war within your members? In other words, whatever you have suppressed within your own physiology, the heart, the lungs, the liver, your own members, there's where the warring happens. Where do the wars in the world come from? The energies that you hold set up a field that collapse and become the quantum potential that you call the world. If we have the majority of people on the planet at war, then we will experience a planet filled with war. Where does the healing have to take place? In our own members, in our own hearts. The principle of critical mass in physics was spoken by Jesus 2,000 years ago. He said a little leavening leavens a whole loaf. It won't take everybody to change the energy system. Enough people who will face it in themselves, who will choose to be empowered to heal, will heal the energy of war in themselves. And they will set up an energy field that will erase the quantum potential we call war and bring about a world of peace. Simple physics. A little leavening leavens the whole loaf. Critical mass. Are you willing to be part of the critical mass? Are you willing to face yourself and deal with yourself and dismantle that old self? Whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of the war in your own members? 
Isaiah 1 says this, a nation in error separated from God. We could hear that as separated from love. They are gone away backward. They will revolt more and more against love. The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. Where does sickness come from in the mind and in the emotions? Where does the physiology, you know, we're at the point where you know, it's, it's getting to where heart, quote unquote heart attacks. I mean, think about that. Can a heart attack you? That's ridiculous. How can your heart attack you? But years and years and years of filling it, attacking it with energies that don't belong in it, will cause it to break down. But notice we live in a culture who talks about our hearts attacking us. It's ridiculous. Heart doesn't have a capacity to attack you. But it'll speak back to you if you destroy it with hatred and fear. The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Your land is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. Are we at that point today? Look at what's going on in our culture. I mean, it's almost to the point where our land will hardly produce food that has nourishment in it anymore. What have we done to the land? Well, the land is another expression impacted by the quantum energies that we as human beings engage in. We have the ability as human beings to impact this whole physiological system. We're the only creature that has the capacity to originate mind energy that's out of harmony with the flow of creation. And we need to get back in step. Does that mean we're guilty, we're bad, we're wrong, we should be ashamed because we didn't do it right? No. We didn't know any better. Okay, if you got a reality called guilt, great. Take out a reality management worksheet and forgive your guilt. You got a reality called shame, great. Get in touch with it. Own it. Oh, here it is. Get out a worksheet. Forgive shame. When you forgive every reality that is unlike love, what do you got left standing there? You've got who you are, love. It's the being that we are. Now, if you go to the Aramaic, in the Beatitudes, you know, we're told in the Beatitudes that each Beatitude starts out with, blessed are they, as though there's some sort of an external force or external power that's going to bless us. In Aramaic, there's no such word or concept as blessed are they. The word in Aramaic is tuvehun. And tuvehun more properly translates like this, a latent neural structure now, what would a latent neural structure be? That would be something hidden in you. Let's start with a clean board with this. Let's think about this idea of latency. What would latent mean? It would mean an unconscious or a hidden or a neural structure that is unavailable. Fortunately, you and I don't need to search for the perfect realities to guide us, the perfect mode of being. It's already in us. So what does Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Before each Beatitude, he says this, a latent neurostructure, that is, we would say a vibratory frequency, implanted by God to guide you to happiness and well-being, becomes your conscious possession, you who, and then each of the Beatitudes gives you a set of instructions for how to achieve that state. How do you get this neural structure that's been hidden? If impacted in your mind are realities of hatred and realities of fear and realities of pain 
and realities of guilt, fault, blame, etc. If those are the realities that are active in your mind, then they cover up, they hide the, the reality structure that the Creator put in you to guide you. You already have in you, out of your created state, you already have in you the total set of instructions for how to live life in total harmony. It's in you. But 2,000 years ago, it was said it was unconscious or latent. It was hidden for most people. What is it hidden by? Remember Jesus talked about, you are the light of the world? When he said, you are the light of the world, he used exactly the same words as he used when he said, I am the light of the world. And he said, don't hide your light under a bushel basket. What was he saying in that context? He was saying that your light is there, but you've got all these realities that you've bought into from the world that overlay it. So you've got this basket hiding it. Get rid of the basket. How do you do that? Well, let's look at it. The first of the Beatitudes historically is interpreted as, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, has anybody here ever gotten really excited about being poor in spirit? Does that make a lot of sense? Now, the Aramaic language is an interesting language. Relative to, say, a language like English, there are very few words in Aramaic. And so to get different meanings and different contexts for a word, you take the meaning, they have one word and a, a dot over this letter, or what was often called a jot. Remember they said not a jot or tittle? A jot or tittle were the little marks that were used in Aramaic to determine what this word meant. Well, what would be the equivalent of a fly speck turns the word home into the word poor? So what did that first beatitude say? Those who have a home in their spiritual nature. In other words, what? Those who live in their soul nature, nafsha, the stuff of love. So first order of business to activate this neural structure, to strengthen enough to cause it to resonate and break through the bushel basket, to break through the realities that keep it latent and hidden, is you've got to live in your spiritual nature. Now what is that the equivalent of? We determined earlier, as many are the sons and daughters of God as are led by the Spirit of God. Those who live in their spiritual nature will strengthen and activate this neural structure. That will automatically start to crack up the ego structure, the self that has to die in order for you to live. It will automatically start to break down all of the frequencies and physiology that cause diseases. So you who have a home in Rucha, which was the active forces from God, yours is a heavenly estate. In other words, remember we talked earlier about the quantum potentials? If purple is the frequency that's the, the dominant, predominant resonant energy, what out of the quantum potential collapses and becomes your actual experience of the world? Oh, those who have this frequency as the active frequency in their minds will set up a field that will cause the world of the quantum potential to be what the Aramaic describes as a heavenly estate. Looks like pretty good physics to me. First step, you've got to live in this realm. You can't live in your ego nature or the mind of Adam.
visit there, play there, and keep, just keep cleaning it up. You're not bad because there's something there. You're not wrong. You're not guilty. You're not at fault. You're not to blame. You're just responsible. And when you take responsibility, your mind can show you what's yours and you can go, oh, this isn't what I choose to live with anymore. I'm going to throw it out. And when it comes up and grabs you by the face, you develop the skills through practice of peeling off the fingers and throwing it away. And when you live in a community, such as this community is about supporting people doing their work, when the world isn't about supporting you in it, you've got a community of friends at will that will support you in bringing about the change. And you'll notice around all true spiritual work down through the ages, which we're describing here, communities have developed to support each other when the world was living differently. Now you take a look at what's going on in the world today. I mean, you take a look at what shows up in the media. I, mean, they, they, I, I just read an article in the paper today and there are talk shows where they have bouncers to keep the people in the audience in line so they don't attack the people on the stage. I mean, this is like the Colosseum in Rome. It, it's, it's evolved in such a way that to our culture it looks normal, but you step back from it with a bird's eye view and, man, this is insane. You know, some of the best entertainment, I understand one of the most popular shows, this was in this article today in the paper, I don't know if you saw it, but one of the most popular shows is about these three foul-mouthed kids, about grade three level, or four kids, and, and one of the things they do in one of the episodes is poison their grandfather. This is entertainment today. I mean, think about that mind energy and what it's building into the brain cells. What are the kids who watch that and think that's important stuff? Like they've got to get home from school to watch that. What is becoming the eyes to see and the ears to hear for them? What kind of a world can we expect to see? So the next beatitude, traditionally interpreted as, blessed are those who mourn their wrongs, for they will become... Ever get excited about mourning your wrongs? Well, in Aramaic, it doesn't say anything about mourning your wrongs. What it says is, a latent neural structure implanted by God will become your conscious possession. You who look into your errors in thought. You who love the truth. For you will be freed of mental stress. Oh, so what I have to do is look at my hatred, my fear, my sadness, my grief, my pain, my vengeance, my gossip, my slander, my disease process, my love of victimhood, and I need to apply the tool of forgiveness and remove it. How do I remove it? Well, all of the above. That's what all of our tools are about in this work. You remove it by forgiving and getting rid of those neural structures. And as you do that, you will be cured of stress. What's medicine now saying? They keep revising the numbers upward. A few years ago, they were saying 75% of disease is caused by stress. There are those people in the medical community now that are saying it's up in the high 90s. 2,000 years ago, they knew exactly on a physics level how this physiological system called the body worked and how to cure it of mental stress. You have to look into your errors and thought, and you have to know how to forgive them. Important skill to have. The next beatitude is historically interpreted as, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, there are those who would have us believe that the meek mean those who go around groveling in the earth. Why does that work? Well, those who want to control the meek keep them groveling, and hey, you've got a good trip going. But in Aramaic, that word meek doesn't mean grovel in the earth like a worm. 
It's actually the word that ties in with humility. And in Aramaic, the word humility means the mental capacity of being able to perceive and cooperate with the highest and best in another. If I'm Mr. Hypercritic and I can see what's wrong with everybody, what am I doing? I'm going out and I'm gathering the worst of the mind energy from everybody that I see and I'm putting it in my physiology. What's going to happen to my quantum physical potential? It's going to degrade. Think about the Aramaic definition of humility. It's brilliant. What do I want to do? I want to look for the highest and best in everybody. There's something that every person has that I haven't been able to do yet. And I get to participate in that creative process by being able to look for and cooperate with the highest and best in each person. And as I do, what do I sow into my quantum potential? The very highest of every mind on the planet. When you look at your physiological system as an energy system, it looks like pretty good physics, doesn't it? Makes a lot of sense. And you'll find when you go to the Aramaic, everything that's taught in the scriptures just makes perfect sense. The next of the Beatitudes, historically interpreted, interpreted as, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. And that righteousness often becomes that righteous indignation like I have the right to be enraged with you. Wait a minute. If you're standing in front of someone who's enraged, if you're standing in front of someone who's teaching fear in the name of a guy named Jesus who said, here's how you cast out fear. You listen to fear in Jesus' context and it sounds like a demon to be cast out. If you hear somebody promoting fear in that name, you know you're dealing with somebody who doesn't know what Jesus taught. Again, it's like Paul said, why is it the things I would do I cannot do? And the things I would not do are what I do. Didn't know how to change the realities in his own mind. Those who haven't yet learned what Jesus taught about forgiveness, who've only studied it from the Greek, think forgiveness means, oh, just keep letting them off the hook, let them off the hook. Forgiveness means you change the reality in your own mind and you're finished with it. And you become a clear space that is empowered to bring healing to everybody that you touch. Now, does that mean it's bad and wrong to go in any other direction? No. It's going to produce a perfect result. But what are we capable of? So in Aramaic, what does it say about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Here's what the Aramaic translation says. You who hunger for the mind structure underlying the attitude, judgment, and behavior described as just and fair behavior between people. So what does that mean? That means that when you activate this neural structure, this is the neural structure that underlies just and fair behavior and treatment. This has to be activated. If you step into spiritual process and you don't do the work of getting rid of the trash that's in your mind as a human being, and you don't activate this, then what will underlie your behavior? Well, if you've got rage and hatred and murder in your heart, you'll be able to make it logical to step into somebody's space and say, I come to bring you the love of my Master Christ, and if you won't accept it, I'll kill you. <laughs> so, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that. Something crazy about that. And a lot of people rebel against true religious experience because somebody else didn't understand. Somebody else didn't know what was there. 
Does that make them bad or wrong? No, we're just human beings in process doing what human beings do. And we need to be able to take responsibility for our own two square feet. And whatever we're justified having hostility for, we've got to get rid of it to activate that other neural structure. So those who hunger for the mind structure underlying just attitude, judgment, and behavior, that fair behavior between people, they shall attain it, is what the promise is of that beatitude. The next one's generally interpreted as blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And how often do we stand in that? Well, I'll be merciful with you. It's nothing but an ego trip if we're in that space. But what is it in the Aramaic? Those who have pure love, and that pure love is con has, has conditions attached to it or, or expressions attached to it in the Aramaic translation of the Beatitudes. It says those who have pure love encompassing judgment and behavior. 